3: always listen to the radio it's different our lives are
4: ruined already the whistler
2: The tape will self-destruct in five seconds.
4: Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, it's part two of Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young from 1950, then Parker Fenley stars in a good drama on the cavalcade of America from 1944. With me, as always, is my producer and engineer, Mike Costello. What's up, Mike? Hey, how's it going, Carl? Good. Lisa's going to be off this week and next week. But she'll be back in two weeks to be here as the co-host of Hollywood 360. We'll miss her. She takes off on Father's Day? Yeah, she takes off on Father's Day and Mother's Day and Hanukkah and Christmas and Easter and Valentine's Day and um, uh, Salsas Day. Is okay. there a Salsas Day? Uh, there could be. Yeah, if, if there is, she takes off on it. All right, last time, we began listening to Father Knows Best, a good Father's Day program called the Father's Day Trip. Here's Robert Young in the conclusion now of Father Knows Best.
3: The sun comes up like a stab of light. Rose fingers reach into the night. The darkness fades, the night is gone. And day comes fast with a rising dawn. A woodcock calls, a soft wind sighs, and from its nest a starling flies. This is the dawn, the break of day, the time when Young light...
5: Young man, will you please shut up? <laughs> well,
3: pardon me.
0: Most
5: ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Getting up in the middle of the night to chase after a bunch of stupid fish. <laughs>
2: But Elizabeth We had
5: a nice day planned for you One we'd all have enjoyed But no, you have to drag us up here So we can freeze to death Are you cold, Elizabeth? Of course not My teeth always chatter like this
2: (laughs) Billy, get the blanket out of the car for your mother Hmm? (laughs) I said get the blanket out of the
5: car Uh, No, thanks. I'm quite comfortable (laughs) Billy! Leave the boy alone, Hector Poor child If he had a father with the slightest bit of consideration Elizabeth, I didn't say
2: you had to come along This was your idea
5: Naturally You haven't had an idea since the day I met you (laughs) Now look,
2: Elizabeth When
5: I think of the men I could have married and didn't
2: Lucky dog.
5: Hector! (laughs) I'm
2: sorry, Elizabeth. I I was thinking of... of... I think the Andersons are coming.
5: Well, it's about time. You'd think they'd have hurried a little.
2: Well, the road's kind of rough, Elizabeth, and Jim has a new car.
5: Oh, Hector, stop making excuses for them. They're just like everyone else we know. Don't consider a soul but themselves. Especially that Margaret. Thinks her children are the most wonderful things that ever lived. And if you ask me, Margaret,
0: darling. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth, we're awfully sorry. I hey,
2: we thought you were lost.
5: I'm awfully sorry we're so late, Elizabeth. Oh, Angel, we hadn't even noticed it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we
5: had to stop on account of Kathy. Her hat blew out of the car, and we had an awful time finding it.
0: Hi, Billy.
5: Billy, wake up, dear. Betty is here. She is?
0: Oh, hi, Betty. Hi.
2: Say, this is quite a spot, Heck. Yes, sir. It's all right. Jim, I saw a bass, so help me, it was that long. You're kidding. No, I'm not, Jim. Well, maybe that long. Hey, there, there, there. Did you see that one, Jim? What did I tell you, huh? Where? Right, Right there, near the dock. I don't see anything Jim, you weren't looking in the right place Well, what's the difference? The place I want to see him is on the end of my line Got all your stuff, Heck? You ain't just a woofing The greatest assortment of fish persuaders in the world And it's all on the dock waiting for Papa
5: Hector, where are you going?
2: Fishing, why?
5: You'll do no such thing (laughs) There's a little thing like breakfast that comes first
2: Breakfast? Oh, honey, we, we have... haven't any time for breakfast, Elizabeth. It's practically 6.30.
5: Jim, Elizabeth's right. My lands have got all that food to take out of the car. I'll
2: get it, Elizabeth. I'll
5: get it myself. You just build a fire.
2: Honey, if we build you a nice big fire, then is it alright if we go fishing?
5: After you've had your breakfast.
2: Wait a minute. How about the kids? Why can't they build a fire? And where'd they go anyway? Kathy? You
0: want me, Daddy? Where's Bud? What?
2: Jim, do you have to shout so loud? How else can I shout?
0: <laughs> Kathy,
2: what's he doing under a bush?
0: He's sleeping
2: Well, wake him up Why? Because it's time for breakfast
5: Breakfast? You want me for breakfast, Dad? I figured that again. <laughs> hey, what
2: happened to Billy? Betty? Yes, Father? Where's Billy? You want me, Mr. Anderson? What are you doing over there?
3: Just watching
2: the lake. Well, let Betty watch it for a while. Alone? There's nothing to worry about. Nobody ever steals a lake until after breakfast.
3: Hiya, Dad. What's cooking?
2: Nothing yet. Get some wood.
3: You said it was time for breakfast.
2: Bud, we've got to build a fire. Get some wood. Where? You know, heck, at this point, our ancestors are probably spinning in their graves. (laughs) Where?
5: Well gosh, what do I know about getting wood? Jim, you're only confusing the boy.
2: Bud, you see that tree? You see all those trees? That's wood.
0: <laughs>
3: what
6: am I supposed to do? Bite
3: him down? <laughs> oh,
5: holy cow,
3: Mom
2: Bud, go into the woods Pick up dead branches, twigs Anything that'll burn And bring him back here There's nothing complicated about that, is there? I guess not And stop scratching
6: But I itch
2: <laughs> I said stop scratching and get going I told them we ought to polish the
0: car. Now I gotta make like a beaver.
5: (laughs) You want me to go someplace, Mr. Anderson?
2: Well... (laughs) (laughs)
0: Leads
2: with his chin every time, doesn't he? (laughs) Billy, we have a slight problem. Oh? We are faced with the task of providing heat without fuel. Well, you don't say. You know, we had the same thing once in a physics exam. And it's a cinch. Friction. That's how you do it. Now, you take two bodies... Billy, shut up and get some wood. (laughs) What? I said, get some wood.
5: Oh, okay. Okay.
2: But I thought Mr. Anderson said... Wood!
5: Hector! Stop raising your voice. Wood. Fine, <laughs> right, nobody has to get excited about it. I'll get all the wood you want. Jim.
2: Margaret, as soon as the boys get back with the wood...
5: Are those your things Kathy's playing with? Where? On the edge of the dock. Holy smoke, my tackle!
2: Of all the rattle brains. Jim,
5: don't frighten her. Kathy! <laughs>
0: Jim? Father?
2: Kathy, grab the dock. We'll be right there. A... Take it easy, Kathy. What's going on? We have to do something. We're coming, Kathy. We'll have you out in two seconds. Daddy! Daddy! Okay, Kathy. Kathy, give me your hand. Come on, honey, Hold your hand up. That, that's a good girl. You got her, Jim? X, my girl. Now, <laughs> mm. now no, we're all right.
0: Oh, Kathy! Daddy! I fell in! <laughs>
2: I know, honey, but you're all right now. You're all right.
5: Hector, get the blanket out of the car. The poor child's ringing wet. I'll get him, Mrs. Smith. Oh, go ahead, Bud. Hurry.
0: Okay. Is she okay, Mother?
5: Yes, dear. She's fine.
0: Daddy scared me. And that's why I fell in. <laughs> Jim.
2: Jim, look at my stuff. It's gone. Jumping, she
0: I was trying to catch a fish and you scared me! (laughs) It's all
5: right, baby. Margaret, take that child up to the car immediately. She's got to get out of those wet clothes. Thank you, Elizabeth. I I can't even think straight. Of course, her father is much more concerned about that smelly old fishing tackle. (laughs) Men. I don't know why they ever invented them
0: anyway. (laughs)
2: Gosh, I'm awfully sorry, Heck Hmm, my whole kit Down at the bottom of the lake Look at it You mean you can see it? Where? Ah, down there Must be 30 feet Hey, where are you going? I've got an idea, Heck Don't go away Father's Day isn't bad enough having children. You have to have Father's Day. Can you still see it, Heck? Yeah, practically smiling at me. Well, don't worry about it. We'll get it out all right. What are you going to do? What would you say was the right bait for your fishing tackle? For my... Oh, you mean? First we'll fish for tackle, then we'll fish for fish. Yeah, that's a good idea. You think you can do it? Of course we can. See now, that's about the biggest hook I have. You got any sinkers? Of course I have sinkers. Stop worrying, Heck. I'll get down there all right. Is that the heaviest line you got? Well, I didn't expect to catch any whales today. I know, Jim, but that stuff weighs a ton. Heck, I give you my personal guarantee. If I hook it, I'll land it. Now, let me have a little room, will you? Uh, uh, Allow for a little drift into the shore, Jim. I'll put it right on the button. Okay, low bridge... Nice casting, huh? What'd you have to put away out there for? So I can drag it across. Now, leave me alone, Heck. I know what I'm doing. Well, good morning, man. Having any luck? Sure. All bad. Can you see it, Heck? I think you're too
3: far to the left. Maybe I can pull it over. Doing a little uh, bottom fishing, huh?
2: Look, fella, we're busy right now. We got troubles. Come back some other time, huh? Okay. Uh, just a minute. Come on, Jim. We haven't got all day. Take it easy, Heck. He might be a game warden or something. Uh, You wouldn't happen to be a game warden or anything, would you? Me? Oh, no. I'm not a game warden. Because if you are, we've got our licenses and permits and things like that. <laughs> we don't worry about those things up here. Oh. <laughs> this uh, wouldn't be a private lake, would it?
3: Oh, no, no, no. not a private lake at all.
2: Uh, you know, for a
3: minute you had me worried. <laughs> No, it's nothing like that. This is a government fish hatchery. Oh, no. (laughs) Once again, it's breakfast time in the white frame house on Maple Street. But it's a lonely sort of breakfast with none of the children at the table. Just Margaret and Jim, two lonely parents discussing the disastrous effects of Father's Day, like this.
5: There's no sense being upset about it, Jim. Dr. Simmons said it was nothing serious.
2: I know, but you'd certainly think Betty'd have enough sense to recognize Goldenrod after all these years.
5: She didn't see it, Jim, and she still says it wasn't Goldenrod.
2: Well, it was something. She's puffed up like a frog.
5: Well, Bud's the one I'm worried about. He says it itches terribly.
2: There's a giant brain for you. (laughs) Goes to sleep in a patch of poison ivy.
3: Wallows in the stuff.
2: How's Kathy?
5: Oh, she'll be all right in a few days. It's just a little cold. (laughs) Jim, I don't understand. How can you laugh at a time like
2: this? (laughs) I don't know, Margaret. The whole thing is hysterical. It was quite a fishing trip. Wasn't it? Hay fever, poison ivy a cold. (laughs) This family caught everything except fish.
3: Again, next week, when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson, with Roy Bargey and the Maxwell House Orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. So until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James. Now stay tuned for Screen Guild Theater, which follows immediately over most of these stations.
2: Stay tuned for Screen Guild Theater,
4: next on NBC. And that's Father Knows Best from June 15, 1950, with a Father's Day trip starring Robert Young. That was sponsored by Maxwell House Coffee, Is heard on NBC. Let's take a break. When we come back, it's the cavalcade of America. Stick around. More Hollywood 360
2: after these important messages. Now back to the
4: best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360. Cross nearly 200 radio stations coast to coast. Check out our website. It's hollywood360radio.com. There is a podcast of our show. It's always one week behind because we want all of our radio stations to have the latest and greatest Hollywood 360 radio show. But if you miss it, you can always listen to our podcast at our website, hollywood360radio.com. All right, it's time now for a good drama on the cavalcade of America, Let's go back to July 10th, 1944, for a show called From Emporia, Kansas, starring Parker Fenley, part one now of The Cavalcade of America.
1: The Cavalcade of America, sponsored by DuPont, maker of better things for better living through chemistry presents Frank Reddick and Parker Fennelly in From Emporia, Kansas. People have different ways of saying something is American. They say as American as apple pie or as chewing gum or as the comic strips or as the corner drugstore. All these things are characteristically American, there's no doubt. But we are here concerned with something more truly and more proudly American than any of these. A man... A man who was first citizen and average citizen of his hometown, an average, small, midwestern American town. A man who was also a citizen of all his country, known, loved, and respected by most of his fellow citizens. Although William Allen White of Emporia, Kansas is dead, his memory is evergreen, and his name is already a symbol of what is good and decent and forward-thinking in America. We present an original radio play by Peter Lyon entitled from Emporia, Kansas, starring Frank Reddick as William Allen White... and Parker Fennelly as his neighbor on The Cavalcade of America.
6: The new editor hopes to live here until he is the old editor. Until some of the visions which rise before him shall have come true. He hopes always to sign from Emporia after his name when he's abroad. And he trusts that he may so endear himself to the people that they will be as proud of the first words of the signature as he is of the last words. The new editor of the Gazette is in the newspaper business to make an honest living and to leave an honest
7: name behind. Yes, sir. I submit that's quite a thought. That was what Will White wrote in his first editorial in the Gazette in 1895. I wonder if there's anybody who can look back 50 years to when he was a young man and say, yes, I wrote that, and I've lived up to every word of it, too. <laughs> Matter of fact, I was around the day Will White started himself off on the road to getting famous. Those were bad days for farmers. Wheat selling at 30 cents, corn at 16, butter 10, eggs 6, hogs 2 and a half. In Kansas, we were all pretty sore, and most of us were sore at Will White because of the editorials he wrote in his gazette, calling us all failures. There we were on Commercial Street, and there he came, down from the post office, arms full of mail and newspapers. (laughs) Silly Willie, we called him. Hey, silly Willie. (laughs) Here comes the big success. Knows how to tell us all what to do. Hey, Willie. I hear you think we're all
6: failures. Got any new advice for farmers, Willie? (laughs) Now, fellas, I don't... I don't... Well, loosen up, Willie. Tell us all about it right here. Yeah, tell us what's the matter with (laughs) Kansas. Well, if you wouldn't all shout at once, I'd tell you soon enough. The trouble with Kansas is... Oh, write it, Willie. Write it.
0: Yeah.
6: All right, I will. If you've got the brains to read, you'll see it all in the Gazette tomorrow. Tomorrow.
7: (laughs) Temperature was 107 degrees. Maybe that's why we couldn't help teasing young Will White some. Anyway, he was in a hurry. Going to catch a train that day, he was, for a vacation in Colorado. He wrote his piece for the paper in a big hurry. We need more copy for the editorial page, Mr. White. You got some ready? I'm just finishing. There Saying something more to the farmers?
6: That's right Trouble is I can never think to say these things when I get into arguments Got a title for it yet? Yeah, yeah call it What's the matter with Kansas? Uh, this is the last paragraph, how's it sound to you? Oh yes, Kansas is a great state Here are people fleeing from it by the score every day Capital going out of the state by the hundreds of dollars And every industry but farming paralyzed What's the matter with Kansas Nothing under the shining sun. She's losing wealth, population, and standing. Kansas is all right. She has started to raise hell instead of corn, and she seems to have an overproduction. But that doesn't matter. Kansas never did believe in diversified crops. Kansas is all right. There is absolutely nothing wrong with Kansas. Every prospect pleases, and only man is vile.
7: Hmm. That's it, huh?
6: Yeah. Yeah, not very good, is it? Well, it'll have to do. I'm going to have to run or I'll miss my train.
4: That's the first portion of the Cavalcade of America. More after these words.
2: back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360.
4: Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360. And it's time now for the conclusion to The Cavalcade of America. And Will White went off to Colorado for
7: his vacation. And in Chicago, some big newspaper publisher happened to see Will's editorial, What's the Matter with Kansas?, And he printed it. And then a big publisher in New York, he printed it. And then about 200 Republican papers all over the country, they printed it. And then Mark Hanna, who was the boss of the Republican Party in those days, he saw it. And he ordered one million reprints of it and sent it out all over. And that editorial, well, it did a lot toward electing McKinley as president. And when Will White come back from his vacation... There he was, famous, and got a letter of introduction to President McKinley from Mark Hanna.
5: What's it say, Will? Read it.
7: Honorable
6: William McKinley, my dear sir, this will introduce Mr. W.A. White, who wrote What's the Matter with Kansas? I have a great admiration for this young man and bespeak for him your kind consideration. He wants no office. Sincerely yours, Mark Hanna.
5: Well, it doesn't sound rude. I wonder why McKinley was rude to you, Will.
6: Oh. Thought I wanted a job, probably.
5: But Mr. Hanna said right there he wants no office.
6: I know, Sally, I know. I guess a president just can't believe a sentence like that about anybody. You know what I'm going to do? What? I'm going to frame that letter and put it up over my desk down at the Gazette. I want to keep that sentence in mind. He wants no office. I want to make sure I'll remember it.
7: And he did. Will White remembered that rule all his life. It must have been hard sometimes, too, knowing the people he did. McKinley there was, and Cleveland, and Teddy Roosevelt, all the presidents, Wilson, Hoover, Coolidge, he knew them. And they signed their pictures to him, and he framed them and hung them up on his office wall. To some of them, he was more than just a country newspaper editor that they gave their autographed pictures to. (laughs) I remember one evening in spring, quite a time ago it was, sitting on the porch, reading the Gazette after supper, my wife next to me. Ah. Mm Hmm? Sounds like a nice
5: lunch. What's that, Herb?
7: A little item here in the Gazette. Yes? Says uh, W.A. White lunched with the President's family a day or two ago. He says they had oyster soup, broiled chicken, mashed potatoes, string beans, boiled with salt pork in the old-fashioned way, and baked apples.
5: That in the White House.
7: I guess so. I guess if you have lunch with the President's family, you have it in the White House.
5: (laughs) That meal sounds like it might have been served in Emporium.
7: Well, and so my next-door neighbor was a famous man, known all over the country... And there he stayed, right there in Emporia. Not changing much, as far as we could see. Getting a little fatter, sure. Losing a little more hair. But Ed Anderson still tailored his clothes for him. He still liked to pick out the first cantaloupe of the season at the grocers. He got about 20 dozen fancy offers at fancy sums to take jobs in the East. But I guess it was like what he told us in Emporia, in an editorial in the Gazette. What we want,
6: what we shall have, is the royal American privilege of living and dying in a country town, running a country newspaper, saying what we please, when we please,
7: how we please, and to whom we please. And we like that, especially coming from a man who knew all the presidents and had written a big best-seller novel, sold a quarter of a million copies. But I guess Will White was an emporian, just like the rest of us, and proud of boosting his hometown. Besides, his family was settled here and growing up here. By 1921, young Bill was in his twenties, and Will's daughter, Mary, was pretty near seventeen. I remember the afternoon in May, when Mary went horseback riding, after school. She passed by me, walking her horse slow.
0: Oh, Uncle Herb!
7: Hi, Mary! Flattered me to have her call me uncle She was such a fine, friendly girl Long pigtails and a red hair ribbon I watched her wheel a horse into North Merchant Street Kick him into a lope and take a cowboy hat off as she did Watched her as she started to wave at a high school friend Saw a horse beer suddenly And head her in toward the sidewalk Toward a low-hanging branch of a tree And she with her head turned the other way Still watching her friend carried Mary back to her home. Police stopped all traffic. Charlie O'Brien, the traffic cop, he stood up at the head of the block. Telephone company stopped all incoming calls so that everything would be quiet while Doc Von Cannon did his best for her. A few days later, Will White sat in his office writing. And I guess it was one of the few times... The door was ever closed.
6: She was the happiest thing in the world. And she was happy because she was enlarging her horizon. She came to know all sorts and conditions of men. Charlie O'Brien, the traffic cop, was one of her best friends. W.L. Holtz, the Latin teacher, was another. Tom O'Connor, farmer, politician. Reverend J.H.J. Rice, preacher and police judge and Frank Beach, music master, were her special friends. And all the girls, black and white, above the track and below the track, in Pepville and Stringtown, were among her acquaintances. She loved to rollick. Her humor was a continual bubble of joy. She was mischievous, without malice, as full of faults as an old shoe. No angel was Mary White... And an easy girl to live with, but she never nursed a grouch five minutes in her life. Her funeral yesterday at the Congregational Church was as she would have wished it. No singing, no flowers, except the big bunch of roses from her brother Bill's Harvard classman. Heavens, how proud that would have made her. And the red roses from the Gazette forces in vases at her head and feet, the Lord's Prayer by her friends in high school... That was all. A rift in the clouds in a gray day threw a shaft of sunlight on her coffin as her nervous, energetic little body sank to its last sleep. But the soul of her, the glowing, gorgeous, fervent soul of her, surely was flaming in eager joy upon some other dawn.
1: Our cavalcade tonight is a radio appreciation of a man who was at once an editor of a small country newspaper, a political pundit, a confidant, friend, and biographer of presidents, the author of a best-selling novel, a politician, a propagandist, a well-traveled and cultured gentleman of the world, a discerning critic, and an intimate of everybody from the corner drugstore to the White House. But always William Allen White's closest friends were his fellow Emporians, his neighbors, always his editorial judgments were keyed to the closest possible approximations of what his fellow Americans were thinking.
7: For example, a few years back, there was a strike of the railroad workers. It was during peacetime. Wasn't like today when there's no excuse for any strike. The strike I'm talking about, oh, I guess Will White was about 75% in favor of the strikers. After all, Emporia's a railroad town. Storekeepers had signs in the windows announcing they were 100% for the strikers. About that time, Will White was in his office chewing on his red fountain pen when one of the reporters came in.
2: Hello, Jane. Uh, Mr. White, something just came over the wire from Associated Press. Thought you might like to have a look at it.
6: Over the wire? Oh, what's it about? Hey. Well, that might make you sit up. This dispatch says Governor Henry Allen has ordered all the storekeepers to take those signs supporting the Strikers out of the windows. Uh, that's what I thought it said. What the deuce is Henry up to? If a man can't say what he thinks without disobeying the law. Shall I uh, tell the printers you've got your subject for tomorrow's editorial? Now, you wait a minute, Gene. We're going to try something right here and now. Have the printers make up a sign saying that the Gazette supports the Strikers. Let's see. Supports the Strikers... Has Henry gone out of his mind? Supports the strikers, 49%. We'll start, and then we'll see where they go up a point a day, huh?
2: Uh, I, I don't understand it.
6: Now, lift the strike, glass until tomorrow. We'll put up another, saying we support them 50%. Next day, 51%. If 49% sympathy is permissible, in the next 50 days, we'll see just where violation of the law begins.
2: Good, I see.
6: I thought Henry was wrong enough opposing the strike.
7: Now he's moving in on free speech and a free press. Well, it looked as though 52% was the danger line. Men in uniform came into the Gazette offices three days later. William Allen White?
6: Yes, I'm W.A. White.
7: I'm here to order you to remove the sign in your window, which reads that you support the railroad strikers 52%.
6: No, I'm afraid that I can't fall in with your request. I don't know the law which forbids me to display my opinions on any matter such as this
7: one. Sorry, Mr. White. I'll have to place you under arrest. Well, the governor came to Emporia and made a speech. But in the next few days, he made it pretty clear he wasn't going to put Will White up before a judge and try him. He had one excuse or another, but it all boiled down to no trial... Will, he sat at his typewriter and pecked away for a while, came up with this and addressed it right to the governor. You can
6: have no wise laws, nor free enforcement of wise laws, unless there is free expression of the wisdom of the people. And alas, there folly with it. But if there is freedom, folly will die of its own poison, and the wisdom will survive. That is the history of the race. It is the proof of man's kinship with God. Now you say the freedom of utterance is not the time of stress. And I reply with a sad truth that only in time of stress is freedom of utterance in danger. This nation will survive. This state will prosper. The orderly business of life will go forward if only men can speak in whatever way given them to utter what their hearts hold. By voice, posted card, by letter or by press. Reason never has failed men. Only force and repression have made the wrecks in this world.
7: They gave Will White the Pulitzer Prize for that editorial, and they dismissed the case against him. But it wasn't the last fight he got into, not by a long shot. There was a day when he got back to Emporia from the state capital at Topeka, and his wife met him in the home.
5: You look tired, Will.
7: Yes, I... I am tired, and that's a fact, Sally.
6: I've been fighting.
5: Fighting? Whatever about?
6: The Republican Party got together on a candidate for governor. So did the Democrats.
5: Is that something to fight about this year?
6: This year it is. Both candidates have been endorsed by the Ku Klux Klan, and neither candidate will repudiate their support. I've got some news, Sally. What's that? You know I've never run for any office, but I'm going to run now. I'm going to run for Governor of Kansas, if enough people want me to. Only one plank. To free this state from the disgrace of the Ku Klux Klan.
5: Will, have you thought about... it?
6: Yeah, I've thought about it all right. This Klan is out for terror, Sally. Terror directed at law-abiding citizens. Negroes, Jews, Catholics. That's the dentist, Sally, and the butcher, our friends. That's Sam who comes around to take care of our lawn... Little Peggy, such a friend of Mary's. Because of their skin, or their race, or their creed, the Klan is subjecting them to boycott, social ostracism, every form of embarrassment, terror.
5: I'm glad your mind is made up, Will.
6: I'm ashamed, Sally, and I'm afraid. That's why I'm putting my name up for governor.
7: Didn't win the race for governor, Will didn't, but he sure knocked the Klan into a cocked hat, as far as Kansas was concerned. Yes, sir, that's what a good newspaper editor can do for his community. It was an American talking when Will White said, To make a case against a birthplace, a religion, or a race
6: is wicked, un-American, and cowardly. A
7: man of Emporia, a man of America, a man with the kind of conscience and the kind of wisdom who could be chairman of the Committee to Defend America by Aiding the Allies, Will White began to listen to the news on the radio in those days.
2: Off the beaches of Dunkirk. It would now appear that out of what was apparently slated to be a full-scale disaster for the British, they will be able to extricate at least the bulk of their men. Their arms and armor, however, are lost forever to the triumphant Nazi.
6: I think we'll be able to persuade both parties to keep any plank against aid to Britain out of their platforms. I'm beginning at the age of 73 to discover what the word desperate means.
7: You know, they tell the story of the whites going to their summer cabin at Estes Park, Colorado. Of Will getting phone calls from President Roosevelt, from Hull, from Stimson, Wilkie, Knox, every important man in both parties. And of Mrs. White shooing the maid out of the room before Will started talking so that the conversations might be kept as private as possible. Only they found out weeks later that their phone was on a party line, that all Colorado knew what the president had said to Will White and what Will White had answered. And now it's evening. Set on the lawn here beside me. From here we can just see Will White, his fat little body sprawled in the hammock on his porch. His wife in the rocker beside him. Kansas sun's going down west in the Flint Hills. Will White has eaten his favorite dinner, fried chicken and cantaloupe. He's treating himself to a pawpaw, first of the early fall.
5: Tired, Will?
0: Yeah, a little. Why?
5: I'm a little worried about you. So's Frank from Cannon, too, if you want to know.
6: <laughs> Frank's a good doctor. But he's not divine. There are some things he can't do.
5: Will, you shouldn't talk like that.
6: Uh, You sound very earnest, Sally. I am. Uh Uh-uh.
5: Why do you say that?
6: Well, whenever people get too earnest near me, I get an irrepressible compulsion to giggle. Will. Don't be concerned about the way I think about death, Sally. As I lie here and think... I wouldn't mind another 50 years of life. As it is, I fear life much more keenly than death. But I'm ready to take greedily whichever comes.
7: Well, Will White is dead now. I don't know about folks in other parts of the country. But in Emporia, we still remember him. And I guess we will for quite a spell. Because after all... Will White was Emporia. Maybe he was America too.
1: Thank you, Frank Reddick and Parker family. Monday evening, Cavalcade presents Boomerang, the fantastic story of a Japanese destroyer that was captured by Americans, and in their eager hands became for Japan a terror of destruction, a phantom ship that struck swiftly and without warning against the sons of Nippon. Tonight's Cavalcade orchestra was directed by Donald Bouris. This is Roland Winters sending best wishes from Cavalcade sponsor, the Dupont Company of Wilmington, Delaware. The Cavalcade of America came to you from New York.
0: This is the National Broadcasting <laughs>
4: And that's the Cavalcade of America from July 10th, 1944, with From Emporia, Kansas, starring Parker Fenley. It was sponsored by DuPont, as heard on CBS. Let's take a quick break, then it's more here of Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360
2: after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360.
4: Next time, we'll tune into Let George Do It, starring Bob Bailey in A Good Detective Adventure. Then it's a comedy with William Bendix as Chester A. Riley in part one of The Life of Riley from 1951. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.